What's up, guys? Before we get going this evening, just want to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. They're the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has been tested and refined through years of wisdom and experience and has helped Skybox propel itself to the top of the industry. You know the deal with Skybox at this point is unless you're a first-time listener. If you are, welcome. Well, check out Skybox. They have a package that will fit your price range. Hope y'all took advantage of their U.S. Open picks. They're crushing it on NASCAR right now. NFL's just around the corner. Get you a little taste of uh, some baseball, NASCAR, golf action before you dive into the NFL and college football this fall. But check them out. They've got week-long sports-centric packages, month-long sports-centric packages. You could do all sports for a month, all sports for a week. I would just recommend doing the year-long all-sports pass and riding with Skybox 365 days a year. I promise you, you'll make the money back. And then some. These guys are professionals, but they will have a package to fit your price range if you need something a little less. You can even try out a daily pass for 10 bucks. Uh, just to kind of see what the guys are about. But check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Go to the store, check out the gear. I'm rocking a Skybox hat as we speak. They got pretty awesome products in there as well. So go support Skybox Sports Picks. It's a pretty good trade-off. They'll make you money while you give them less money. That seems like a pretty good deal to me. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Y'all know the deal. LB is absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Go see Greg if you're a subscriber to the Rippy Rights newsletter, which is rippyrights.substack.com. Free newsletter you get anywhere between three to five times a week, depending on uh, news availability, that sort of thing, uh, to your inbox. Every single time it is published directly to your inbox. And you also get free meats or discounted meats, I should say. Greg's got a deal going right now for subscribers. They get a 16-ounce prime strip for $15 and then a package of sausage for five bucks. So you get a pack of sausage and a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks. That's a hell of a start to your dinner. I would have a start to your weekend and one hell of a dinner. I should say, I would recommend going buying much more stuff than that. LB's university Avenue across from Kroger, best place in Mississippi to get meat. Uh, Oxford is lucky to have it. I'm getting hungry. Just thinking about it right now. So check them out. Today we have on the show old radio cohort Michael Borky, good friend of mine, Sports Talk Mississippi producer, host. I actually never asked him his official title. He's one of the three on the show. You get the point. Was one of the four when I worked at Super Talk. Uh, good catching up with Borky. Always enjoy throwing out ideas and takes his way. We talked a little bit more of the Mike Bianco stuff. I try not to get too repetitive from Colin and I's podcast, but we also talked some Mississippi State baseball, Ole Miss baseball, kind of the culture difference between the two. And uh, probably not in the sense that you think that means. And uh, took kind of a thousand foot view or ten thousand foot view at both Mississippi State's and Ole Miss's football seasons in 2021 and the expectations for both schools. So good conversation. Always good talking to Borky. Always runs longer, and I think because it goes by quickly. So without further ado, let's go. Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. Welcome in. Thanks for tuning in another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. Uh, searching for a new name for the pod because I saw the message board. Uh, doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't make sense, but like I've explained multiple times, not a ton of good, deep thought put into it. I'm right-handed, logo's a left hand. But welcome back in. Uh, today's guest, good buddy of mine, been on the pod before, Michael Borky. We'll 
chop it up about Mississippi sports, whatever the hell else, probably just rant, have some ideas. What's up, man? Oh, not a whole lot, but uh, first time I've been on the pod, I guess, since the, the switchover, probably a much greater audience. And I've got to start with being a little mad at you, if, if I'm telling the truth, because you had Richard Cross do this after the switchover before me. Hey. And so I'm, and next time I see you, it's not going to be pretty for you, having him go ahead of me. So here's how I'll spit it that two ways. One, you are more valuable because without guests like you, the podcast <laughs> does not grow into something that is worth acquiring. The uh-huh. second part of this, uh, have you ever known Richard Cross just to weasel his way into something? Daily. Does he ever have bad luck? Does that man ever have bad luck? No. Uh, I don't think he's ever had a day where it's like, even those days happen to that guy. Yeah, exactly. If Richard Cross won the lottery, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me at all. So we had discussed coming on. I reached out. I was like, hey, man, let's call a talk shop on the podcast. I already had Borky and Haydad on. That was, I say, about two-ish weeks before the Rebel Grove thing became a thing. <laughs> we had some scheduling snafus and pushed it back. And little do you know, Richard Cross is uh, the first guest for, uh, ever since we went on to the Rebel Grove merger. So funny how that worked. It's almost like that guy has good fortune. But we knew we were bringing you back on at some point. Um, although I didn't know we would have this amount of stuff to talk about, right? It's, it's it, you know, Baseball yeah. season is over for two-thirds of the state, and it's been anything but dead from – a story standpoint, at least an Ole Miss standpoint. And then as we record this on a Tuesday evening, State's playing in the College World Series or finishing up playing in the College World Series. Um, a lot of radio content still going on, and I imagine that has to be uh, pretty pretty good from a show planning standpoint because you're going to look up with State in the College World Series and you're like, yeah, all I really got to do is cover like two and a half, three weeks of dead time. Pretty much, and uh, I've got a pretty good formula with dead time too. Haven't done a Mount Rushmore yet. Although I did accidentally say Mount Rushmore the other day when talking about Doug Nikhazy and saying that he belongs in the old Miss pitcher, Mount Rushmore. Uh, you know, I, I kicked myself after doing that because I've never done a Mount Rushmore before. But, yeah, it, it's been nice. I mean, Mississippi State being good has really helped. Although on Friday and yesterday, uh, because we went to the beach during a tropical storm. So real galaxy brain stuff here. Got about three hours of sunshine. Uh, still managed to get sunburned somehow in three hours of sunshine. But, but you know, um, it's been good. And I know the, the old Miss fans listening to this don't like hearing that it's been good that Mississippi State's been winning. But it certainly helps when you're trying to cultivate content in the middle of summer, uh, a month away from SEC media days, and that'll look different this year, and, you know, months away from football season. It's been nice to kind of be like, hey, let's see what Wes Ray's doing. And uh, – Good old country boy, Wes Ray, by the way. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's, uh, he's Mississippi through and through. But th- that's been nice, having that. And then the Bianco news, I mean, we got a whole discussion out of that as well, although it was a little bit heated. Uh, Cross and I didn't necessarily see eye to eye on how uh, just how people think, how, how you should think, how, how that should be handled. Uh, so that was good. I mean, debate's always good. And uh, we differed kind of significantly on that whole deal. So that was a really good week, just counting days until we can get really into football. So, 
Yeah, oh, for sure. And if it's, you know, it's interesting if it, you know, we'll get into this in a minute, but if y'all's disagreement was kind of in the neighborhood of what I think it is, there's not really a wrong, like, argument, whether, you know, in terms of how it was handled, right? Like, this is the definition of, um, I guess, you know, both parties, both sides, wherever you fell on it, having a point. And uh, whatever, we can get right into that now. It's still kind of a topical story. We did a podcast on it earlier in the week, kind of breaking it down. But, like, it was an interesting – I didn't figure it would end up like this. And we were texting back and forth through a lot of it. And, you know, every conventional wisdom would tell you it was the perfect time from a personal career standpoint for Mike the Bolt. But I was never going to be surprised with the result because one thing I kind of kept reminding everyone I wrote about it, did a couple podcast segments on it, was like, he thinks about things differently. And it may just be as simple as him not being offered the job and the timing not working out. But at the same time, he thinks about things differently. And the whole like shroud of mystery in all of this was no one knowing what he thought. And I don't really blame anyone for not knowing or being able to find out because he's deeply personal, private, quiet, however you want to describe it when it comes to that. And so for that reason alone, his unconventional thinking uh, kind of coupled with the fact that doesn't really talk to a whole lot of people. No result was going to shock me despite all logical signs pointing towards him departing Ole Miss for LSU. Yeah, and you started out with a really good point. That's what makes this particular conversation around Ole Miss baseball, its leadership, all that stuff. I think it's one of those rare instances where you don't have to pick a side because I think both sides are valid. Now, the the, the small segment of people that think Keith Carter should fire him right now, I think that is uh, a bit extreme. I don't really agree with that. But you have large segments of the fan base. I don't know which one is bigger. You have some that think kind of the way I do, that Ole Miss baseball would not be where it is today without Mike Bianco, but the lack of postseason success, whether it's luck, whether it's whatever you want to describe it, is a glaring knock on the resume, and it can be better. Ole Miss is investing too much into baseball to only have one College World Series trip in 21 years, and everybody has talked about that ad nauseum. That's where I fall. I I, I hear when people say, you know, it was worse before. You weren't here in the 90s. You weren't here in the 80s when the program was awful. And look at South Carolina because Ole Miss could just as quickly go back to being South Carolina, and, and I hear that. I don't like that mentality, though, because, yes, much better program today than you were in 1990, without a doubt, and Mike Bianco is mostly to credit for that. But that's mostly and not totally. The program today has a quality, expansive fan base, financial commitment that only few other programs in the country are willing to go And you've got really nice facilities. Yes, the scholarship limitation does exist compared to that of Vanderbilt, LSU, and others. But generally speaking, the bones of the program, with or without Mike Bianco now, are that of a winner. That can be a winner without him. And so that's how I look at it. But I do hear the side of every year, it's a non-revenue sport that generates a small amount of revenue. And that's rare. Competitive teams every year. Good Americans, Johnny Bench Award winners, that kind of stuff every year. They host regionals with relative frequency. So why would you want a change when everything's really good? So I think both sides are valid, although I do fall on the side of 
if you're not doing everything you can to win championships, then what are you doing? Why are you wasting time and money and resources, paying seven-figure salaries to a coach, that kind of stuff, if you are not doing everything you can to win championships? Because I think it's a program that can, and it is currently not. And so why would you not do whatever it takes? And if you think you have hit a ceiling with leadership at the risk of becoming South Carolina, I think you should try to achieve that goal. So it's, it's, a, it's such an interesting debate because both sides are right. And in terms of how this past thing was handled this past week with the LSU and the interview that was or wasn't or whatever, a lot of people are mad at Keith Carter today. And I think that is the one person that didn't do anything wrong here. And maybe I'm maybe that's off. I, I just when I when people I had a friend say to me yesterday, Keith looked really weak here. I disagree. But what do you think? I would like to. I, I've talked a lot before we get into that. I've said a lot of things, but I I don't think that if if you are mad at Keith Carter today, I think that anger is misdirected for a handful of reasons. I kind of I tend to fall more so in your camp, just from the standpoint of I think he kind of portrayed his feelings pretty close to exactly your feelings thoughts on Mike Bianco in the matter pretty much exactly uh exactly as to how he played the situation like peep the people I think that are mad that think he looked weak is the fact that they're upset that you know they're sitting baseball coach of two decades interviewed for a rival you know division rival job in the AD which is that completely valid I mean where else would that happen no, yeah, exactly. That's not invalid. But, like, to me, and I don't know Keith Carter's thinking. I haven't talked to him about this. But to me, he played it exactly how he feels, where it's like, eh, I don't really give a, give a shit about the optics, for the lack of a better phrase. You know, if he wants to leave and wants to take another job, then this is probably the only amicable way a two-decade-long relationship could end where both parties feel okay. And if he wants to stay – We'll be glad to have him, but, you know, one, we're not getting in a bidding war with him if LSU does offer, and two, if he wants to go check out, you know, the grass on the other side, okay, because we won't be completely torn up if he's gone. Like, this is not a Lane Kiffin situation, right? And I know it would be different – for football, it's different, and I know it's apples to oranges from a job standpoint, but, like, given Lane Kiffin's stock at Ole Miss right now, if he went and interviewed for the Arkansas job or something, and I'm not saying he would ever do that, Ole Miss would do it. Not that job. <laughs> yeah, one, one, they wouldn't let him interview. And two, like, they wouldn't – like, you know, they would do everything they can to keep him. Where Mike is not in that position, right? Like, I, to me, he handled it like a coach that's kind of going stale but hasn't gotten there yet. Like, it's like, okay, this guy does a pretty good job for me. He has some flaws. Like, you know, if a competitor comes in and wants to scoop him up, okay, thanks for your contributions here. But if he wants to stay, cool. Have fun yeah. making the same amount of money. Like that, to me, he played it exactly the way he felt. But also, I get people being upset that he allowed he allowed Mike Bianco to go interview for an SEC West job. Uh, not that this completely matters, but also it's happening while Mississippi State is in Omaha um, across the state, and they're eighteen and three against Mike or whatever the hell it is in the last well, one. Um, so yeah, that nine thirty news dump a half hour after Mississippi State wins a game in Omaha is is really uh, fascinating timing, but. No, I'm with you. And that's why when my friend yesterday was like, well, Keith Carter should have shut it down sooner. My response was, but what if he didn't want to shut it down? What if he was willing to let this be a news cycle, even 
if it made him look weak or whatever you want to say for a little bit longer than it should have because maybe he wanted the result to be amicable separation. So that's why he didn't shut it down on Wednesday when he could have or Thursday if he wanted to because maybe he kind of wanted Mike to take the job. He wasn't dying to keep him and he wasn't dying to lose him. Like, you know what I mean? He wasn't like dying right. to keep him and he wasn't go- also wasn't going, you know, to be completely heartbroken if he left. I guess that's the same thing. He wasn't dying to keep him, but he also wasn't like bent over backwards trying to get him to stay, I guess. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm so saying? That's, wh- that's why you're more willing to let it drag a little bit longer because it, either result is is – fine although I mean I feel like if I know anything about the way Keith Carter has conducted his job at Ole Miss now um he expects more and I know the the first response because I've gotten it some myself is well then why give the one-year extension I don't know exactly know the answer to that I just know that you you shouldn't really worry about that being a factor in decision making moving forward Keith Carter has shown you multiple things already. He wants to win championships and actually believes you can do so at Ole Miss. If you are not doing so, he will make a decision rather swiftly. And I go back to this because I think it's, it bears repeating. If what happened this past week has lost your goodwill with Keith Carter, I think you're crazy, especially when you really understand – how unpopular with certain right people, if you will, firing Matt Luke was, and then hiring Lane Kiffin on top of that. That was not an easy decision. Twitter loved it. Message boards, I'm sure, loved it. Inside, that took some guts for Keith Carter to do, and he knew it was the right decision because Ole Miss under Matt Luke was not winning anything of value. It wasn't going to happen, and he thinks that it can. So he made a decision in the face of a lot of people that pay some bills there. He made that decision, and it's working so far. I don't think the one-year contract rollover in Mike Bianco staying at Ole Miss is going to diminish Keith Carter's expectation for the baseball program, which is trips to the College World Series. I know it's, it's, it's counterintuitive because why would you just extend his contract? It really isn't an extension the way you think it is. There's not, really a whole, there's not more money. It's not anything like that. And he didn't offer the extension to prevent him from going to LSU. It's just a formality. I, I wouldn't even think about it because as far as I understand it, Keith Carter believes that that program should be making regular appearances to the College World Series. And if that does not happen – he will not let it continue. And that sounds counterintuitive based on what happened this week. But I know that that's the feeling there. He thinks that they can do it. And if they don't do it, he, it will be done. Yeah, I agree on that part as well. Because it's like, it's interesting because like, the, I think the faction of people that are very upset at Keith Carter and saying he looked weak were the firmly anti-Bianco camp before. So they're using something he did that could be perceived as bad, which is not a great look, right? It is not a great look to go drive to Birmingham while the College World Series is going on to go interview in person for another job after kind of playing it incredibly close to the vest as to whether they're even interested in it. 
Like that is not great optics. Like I've, 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 obviously we keep mentioning that, but it's like at the same time, like I feel like that was the anti Bianco camp. Whereas I know there's a, a people keep saying there's full on Bianco stands. I'd like to meet one. Have you met one lately? That's just like, no, we have to keep Bianco. I haven't talked to that person. Do they exist? I'm told they exist on the message board. I loosely work for now. Um, so like I say, loosely they, they do, yes. they do. There is a, there is a portion of Ole Miss fans. I, I've heard from a few of them via text line or whatever um, that are relieved, deeply relieved that LSU did not offer him the job. They, they could not care less that he wanted the job. There, I don't know how many of them there are, but I know there are them and with some decent numbers. I know Facebook is not the best indicator, but uh, I've seen a Facebook page where it is all, I mean, every comment was, please don't leave, Coach. Oh, Bianco's staying in, in celebration. I mean, those people are out there. And so the damage is done is a, a phrase that I heard on, on not your podcast, but one that's on this feed, that the damage is done. And, and I think for a lot of people that is absolutely true, especially like my friend circles, people that I talk to, they're done. I mean, they're done with it they'll still probably go up for a weekend to go drink beer in left field. But as far as like making excuses, that's over. They're done with it. And I don't know if that matters or not, but young people my age that are Ole Miss alums that go to games are, if he doesn't go to Omaha next year, I think he should be fired. Like I'm I'm done with this. After he interviewed with LSU, it's over for me. And, And that mindset's there as well. But there are people, a lot of them, that are absolutely relieved that LSU didn't offer him the job. Okay, that's fair, but that's probably a, a little bit of a mix of people that were kind of in the middle ground. Like that. So there's a huge anti – there's a loud vocal faction of firmly anti-Bianco and probably have been that way for a while. I honestly don't know how to gauge how many people that is. It's hard to tell. Like I was about to call it a vocal minority, but I'm not sure if that's an accurate term anymore. I honestly have no idea. So I'll just it's call hard it hard to tell because the, the, the stadium's full every weekend. And in part because Ole Miss fans, I mean, there it is a good product. That's what makes this so such a unique and interesting conversation because the product is good. It's good. It's not Matt Luke. You know, they're not losing more than they're winning and going in a negative direction. They were one game away from Omaha. That that did just happen. They didn't win that game, but they were there. I mean, they played well in Hoover. They hosted a regional. All those things happened. So it's it's a decent product, but. A lot of the attendance numbers you see, the student section is only that way because they can get smashed out there. That's it. Left field only looks like that, mostly looks like that, because of the atmosphere that it is. So it, it's kind of hard to gauge. I mean, there, I know there are people that go to Ole Miss games every weekend that cannot stand the, the guy that's coaching the team. So I don't know if stadium attendance and size and crowd sizes are an accurate representation of how people actually feel about it even. Because it's also not a money-making sport, right? They pretty much break even. I think they maybe profit a little bit. I haven't checked in a couple years. But so you have that faction that's very anti-Bianco. Apparently there's a diehard Bianco loyalist. I have yet to encounter very many, at least not in this day and age. But also, I guess what I was getting at is there's a lot of people that were kind of in the middle. It's like, uh, he's probably reached the ceiling here. Oh, I'm kind of increasingly apathetic, like you kind of mentioned, your friend group. You know, if he comes back, it won't be the worst thing in the world. But if he leaves, okay, sweet. Let's take a new stab and get a fresh start at this. Yeah. 
and I feel like that was probably the majority of people to where it's like, okay, like we'll be good again next year that he's back. But again, if he leaves, that's also okay because you think you have a good chance of hiring Cliff, Mc, Cliff Godwin or Dan McDonald. And I feel like Keith Carter played it exactly the way those people feel, where it's like, yeah, okay. Like, I would, you know, if you want to come back, we'll roll you back, right? Because it's really not an extension, like you mentioned. It's a rollback because of the way state laws are constructed. If Mike Bianco, after he got to Omaha, or let's just say after, I, I don't know, let's say he got to Omaha in 17 or something like that. I'm just making shit up. And he signed a six-year contract extension. There would be no rollback or extension after this year. It's rolled back because of the way the state laws are constructed. And honestly, it's become kind of a messaging factor of, like, how much faith you have in your coach. So he did get a game away from Omaha. You mentioned Keith Carter's kind of propensity to make power moves. He did kind of come close to – like, the closest thing he could make to a power move as the interim in 2019 was not extending Mike. It didn't really turn out to be the right decision. I think most people probably agree on that. But no one was crushing it in the moment. It was a no. decisive decision. Uh, a, a decisive decision, clear-cut decision. He was confident in his decision-making, <laughs> right or wrong. And so he's never, yeah. he's never been opposed to making power moves. And so, you know, I thought he played this smartly. But if you're upset that he interviewed for a rival SEC West job, I, I'm not going to tell you you're dumb or you're wrong or you're too emotional. It, it, it's not a good look. Both things, I guess, can be true. Yeah. Once, I just think he put the optics aside just kind of for the better, like the best way to play it was to put the optics aside because like Mike takes the job or whatever. That's not the worst thing in the world for Ole Miss baseball. And so I think he kind of played it down the middle at a time where that was appropriate. And it sets up incredibly lofty expectations for next year. I have no idea if it's actually Omaha or bust. It has to be in that neighborhood. Like, is there a world where he gets to another super, maybe they have an injury along the way or something and he's back in 2023. Sure. I, I, you know, yeah. the, the margin for error short of Omaha is very thin. Maybe in Keith Carter's mind, it is Omaha or bust. I honestly have no idea, but you get what I'm going at. That, that target Absolutely. is lofty. Um, and basically what he's done is he can't underachieve. There is no, even with the amount of talent that's just left on the roster, even if they kind of get screwed by people leaving or, you know, their recruiting class in the draft, there's still enough talent there to where he can't go 13 and 17 limp into a regional and go two and through on the road as a three seat. Like that, that, that ship has sailed. Like he can't afford to do that. He will be gone. And so if you're Keith Carter, I don't know where LSU's going with this, but there's a decent chance that you could just be revisiting this in a year. And yeah. I'm not entirely convinced that, I mean, maybe this is way off. Uh, you and Chase would know more than me about this, but I'm not entirely convinced if the Florida State shortstop reads a scouting report and realizes he doesn't have to rush a throw on Tim Elko, I'm not entirely convinced we're having this conversation right now. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think we're having a coaching search conversation right now. And oh, that's, that's a big guess on my part, but I don't think that losing a home regional would have been survivable considering the tone, at least, of the conversations that I've had. I, I don't, I'm not convinced that we're having this conversation right now if Tim Elko gets thrown out there against Florida State. Right, and really what you're alluding to is, is they did, in fact, lose the home regional. because the way If they picking, lose the home regional, I'm projecting some, but if, if they lose that game and they lose that regional, yeah, I don't exactly. think we're talking about this. They could have bashed their way through the loser's bracket, though, with the way Southern Miss was playing, and they vastly kind yeah. of underestimated Southern Miss. I say they. I think all of us did to some degree. Maybe not you guys. You guys cover all three programs pretty well. I knew they were pretty good. Their numbers were a little deceiving, but the odds of them making it through the loser's bracket with their pitching and Southern's offense 
like you mentioned, wasn't great. But I think maybe there's an injury card to be played. But at the same time, Tim Elko is back out there. And Gunnar Hoagland, very good pitcher. But if you can't make it through a home regional without Gunnar Hoagland, like – Well, let's not pretend like they were winning a bunch of games before he got hurt either. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's 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 – to, to me, that would – like, I feel pretty confident saying that. I don't think that was survival. Maybe they could play the injury card. But, my God, if they did that, you talk about apathetic. So, I agree. Um, you know, they did catch a fortunate break in that sense. And But that's – I mean, that happens, you know. I mean, they, they have had times where they didn't catch the break. So, I, I'm certainly not saying, well, they should have lost. But if they did is really what I'm getting at. Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. But And so, you know, you kind of look at 2022 and it's like, well – you know, it's kind of the similar narrative of 2019. The regular season doesn't really matter as much. Um, it's all about what they do in June. And, like, you think that's a unique place to be, but that's really where Mike Bianco has kind of lived for almost a half decade now, the last four or five years, ever since Black Monday, I guess. I, I would say it was actually partially even slightly before that. Like, if that 2017 Oxford recruiting class group had never panned out, that wouldn't have been great. But he's kind of lived in this area for – three to four seasons now it's probably a little different because there's more roster turnover this year than there was from 18 to 19 like the exact same team not exact same yeah. team mostly the same team was back in 19 so it was like really it doesn't matter it's all about what they do in June but it's kind of that degree this year which sets up for an odd dynamic as far as the apathy like people are still filling up the stadium they'll still do it next yeah. year and even the people that say they're out right now next February they're going to get sucked back in it may not piss them off. Because the team is going to be good. They're, they're, they are going to be good. They're going to win a bunch of non-conference games. That, man, is what makes this so difficult to talk about because everybody is right. If you – like, this is what Richard and I got into because I am very – postseason success is all that matters. I mean, I, I get that the program stunk before, but if you're not winning the postseason, then, then you're wasting time. You're wasting time. And he's on the other side, more of – getting to super regionals is really what matters you shouldn't measure a program that has limitations based on Omaha that kind of stuff I think he's right but I think I'm right too <laughs> I think everybody out there listening to this who has an opinion on this is at least to some degree right about what they're thinking it is so unique because it it never works out this way he, Richard is right in theory in terms of how you should gauge a program in a vacuum like, if you're talking about Arkansas is not the greatest example because they've made a couple more Omaha trips, but pick another program kind of similar to Ole Miss in stature. Mississippi like, State. Yeah, that is the right way to judge them is the super regional part. But at a certain point, one in six in supers and one in five in games to get to Omaha has to matter. Like, I used to call it a statistical anomaly, and it kind of is. Like, you know, in 2017 or so, I guess it wasn't, you know, you could still kind of write it off as, okay, poor fortune, maybe they play tight. You know, he needs to shirk that. Now I don't have anything. Like, that does matter. He's got to win that game. He's got to find a way yeah. to win the Arizona game and the game three in Fayetteville. But the weird part about it is for all the kind of chokes and disappointments they've had in postseasons past, the last two times they just ran into a better team. Arkansas was better than Ole Miss in 19, yeah. and Arizona was better as currently constructed than Ole Miss is currently constructed at the end of the year this year. But given the, that's what makes it such a complex deal. Given the history, nobody wants to hear that as an excuse, but it still doesn't mean it's untrue. Mm -hmm. And the example I've used so much lately, and I don't like doing this as a general practice. Uh, you'll hear me do it often. I, I, I have a feeling that there's not a whole lot of crossover audience. I mean, I'm, I'm a base, I'm a nobody, right? Nobody listens to 
my podcast compared to the audience that, that you guys have. But if you've ever listened to me before, you know that I cannot stand the, we had a debate on the show, for example, where it was, would you rather go eight and four, but lose the egg bowl or go six and six and win the egg bowl? And my answer is always eight and four. And why? Because you had a better season. The Egg Bowl should not have such a dramatic impact on your season. You should never fire a coach because of an Egg Bowl, and you should never hire a coach because of an Egg Bowl. And Old Miss fired Matt Luke. I think that was the straw that broke the camel's back, but the camel had a lot of straw on that back. The program was going nowhere, regardless of the result of that Egg Bowl. So I don't think you should do the comparisons. You should compare yourself against everybody else, yourself, and then maybe your rival eventually. I don't like those comparisons, but in this case, I think it's a great one. If, if you think that Ole Miss baseball is as good as it can be, if it cannot get better and it can only get worse, and if you, if you move on from a coach, who are you going to hire because you're going to end up like South Carolina? Why is it that Mississippi State is consistently, regardless of coach, regardless of decade, making multiple appearances in the College World Series? Chris Limonis has done it 100% of the time since he's been the coach at Mississippi State. An interim guy did it in 2018. John Cohen did it in 13. And they have done it every decade for six decades in a row. But what about Mississippi State is better, and, and their fans hate when I, when I do this, better than Ole Miss. Yes, the stadium is newer, it's more expensive, but the facilities are kind of a wash. Swayze is not new like Duty Noble but it's a top stadium in the country. So that's, that isn't an answer to me. Financial commitment, Ole Miss is more committed at least to their coach than Mississippi State is by a few hundred thousand dollars. They have some, right, so a small uh, scholarship program that can help a little bit with money. But generally speaking, it's the same division. It's separated by 90 miles or whatever it is. It's the same division in the conference. The facilities are comparable. The financial commitment is greater in Ole Miss, at least for the coach, than it is at Mississippi State. Why are they doing it and you are not? Are their players significantly more talented than yours? Are they recruiting that much better than you? If that answer is no, then there's something wrong. And that I hate doing the Egg Bowl comparison thing, but they are the best example for why something is wrong in Oxford. Because, yes, they have a history that Ole Miss doesn't, but what do they have that is just demonstrative than what Ole Miss has? To me, that answer is nothing, really. But yet they do it, and Ole Miss doesn't. It's not demonstrably. Like, State does get the edge in terms of what job's better based on history, tradition, stadium, kind of the harder, tangible things, but you're right. It's, it's marginal. Like, if you're ranking the jobs and you had to rank them, like, if you're ranking one through whatever in the SEC, they're right there next to each other. State gets the nod, but like you mentioned, it's slight. Like, it's not like Ole Miss is working with some sort of gigantic disadvantage to State. Like, it's a minuscule difference, like you mentioned. But I think that helps them a little bit in recruiting. They recruit differently. Um, and then I think kind of being a little more rich in history and tradition has probably helped them a little bit. But you're right. It's, it's very similar. It's very comparable. You're splitting hairs. Honestly, some of it is a culture thing. And culture is a very hard word to define, and a lot of times it can be used to blanket not having a good point or an articulate argument. And I'm not saying Mike Bianco's culture is bad, 
but states just had more of a I hate using the word grit, but they've had more assholes through the years. Like Ole Miss hasn't had a ton of Jake Mangums, and they haven't had the, right. you know, name a couple of state guys through the years. You'd be better well-versed in that than I am. But I saw a stat the other day. State's last three trips to Omaha, they've won game one, and all three of them were one-run games. Like, that's not nothing. That speaks to something. They maximize their opportunities. Now, State has had a couple of, you know – five and 26s or five and 25s mixed in not a ton they had that really bad one and I guess that was the year old miss went to Omaha 2014 I guess it was really bad one then they won the SEC the next year they've had a little bit more volatility in the results but it's something about the culture of I mean, it's why they're 18 and three in the last 21 I thought that Ole Miss has a bad culture Mississippi State just has one of we're going to do whatever it takes we're going to find a way to win I mean how they had a coaching change in February, three years ago, because the guy was sexting in the dugout. Wasn't even – I, I was told that he uh, asked for a pitching change. And Looked no, up, asked for a pitching change, and no one was in the pen warming up. Yeah, his, his, his thought – his focus was elsewhere. Um, that team a, went to Omaha. <laughs> yes, and they went through the loser's bracket of a FSU uh, regional, right? They lost to whoever They won. were a strike away from going 0-2. Yes, they were. The kid hits the ball over the fence, and you know the rest. The rest is history. And so they, it's not only maximizing opportunities that Ole Miss has it done, and some of that can be put up to chance. Some of it can be put up to, you know, how they played in big games when it mattered in the past. I think Mike has shirked the whole tight notion. I think that's probably put to bed. But the history is still there. And it's just kind of a culture thing. And I don't necessarily know how to put my finger on it. Like I keep saying, Ole Miss doesn't have bad culture. But State just has a, we're going to maximize this and we're going to do whatever's needed to get done. Where Ole Miss, when you strike out with second and third or the bases loaded or whatever it was in 17, 18, excuse me, in that regional final game against Tennessee Tech, the air goes out of the stadium despite them still having the lead. Like, that's yeah. kind of the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And it goes back, that just reminds me, it goes back to the the question that I heard a lot is, well, it, why should Ole Miss want him to take the LSU job? Because you can't get anybody better. Chris Limonis was Mississippi State's fourth, conservatively fourth candidate. And he was a sitting Power Five head coach that was running a really good program in Indiana. You're paying your guy right now a million to. You could find a good quality coach, even if Dan McDonald says no. I, I the, I guess in part, and, and I do this with football and basketball as well, I, that mentality that I've heard, that mindset, whatever you want to call it, the we can't do better or just be happy with Super Regionals or, well, you know, hey, Kermit Davis made the NCAA tournament in the first season and Andy Kennedy never made the tournament, so you shouldn't criticize for them being bad last year. Uh, I think they're going to be better did some good things in the transfer portal. I think Kermit Davis is a good coach. Last year just didn't go well. But I – and I hear it in football. Oh, Ole Miss will never win a national championship in football. They won't. So promote the interim guy who really loves your school. That kind of mentality, it's not uncommon. In fact, I think it's pretty – it might even resonate through more than half the fan base in terms of we can't compete for championships. That mindset, and and I can't stand it, and I think it's wrong, honestly. Yes, Ole Miss is not set up the same way Alabama is in football. Not even close. Of course not. They're not Ohio State or Clemson or Oklahoma. Maybe the 12-team playoff will, will help that some. Ole Miss basketball is not Duke 
or North Carolina, shoe companies are not sending five stars to Oxford, Mississippi. If they're still doing that, of course they are. And the baseball program doesn't have scholarships in the same way Vanderbilt does. But I think that it, in all three sports, it can be done. My gosh, man. Ole Miss was a fourth and 25 fluke. Throw it over the back of the guy's head. One of the Candice brothers just giving up on the play from making the playoff. Like, they were, they were that away from going to the playoff. It can be done at that place. But I think a lot of it has to start with expectations. If you're satisfied with your baseball product, you don't – it's not going to win championships. If this is satisfactory to you, then don't expect to compete for championships because you're not doing it. If the basketball product to you is satisfactory – I can tell you Kermit Davis isn't satisfied with the job he's done so far. I promise you. He thinks they should have been better. I guarantee you. So why do you accept what you've gotten? It's okay to have expectations and also perspective. And I think that, that it resonates. And, and sometimes, I mean, Rippy, you remember when we would talk about the John Rice Plumley Matt Corral thing with Rich Rodriguez and which quarterback was better. I mean, everybody and their brother knew that – Matt Corral was the better option, but you remember some of the responses we got. Oh, people hated me for that. Yeah. And, but you were right. Of course. But yes. And so, yes. That, it, because they, they're, they were okay with, yeah. with the, the Mississippi kid who works really hard and is a great kid and is everything great that you want in a human being is John Rice Plumley and a superior athlete. But they were okay with, with the old Miss guy at coach and the Mississippi kid playing quarterback, running that old-school offense, even if they don't win games, well, hey, put up a bunch of yards against LSU, and so that's good enough. That mindset needs to go away because can it's, it takes more work. It's more difficult. You have very little margin for error, zero margin for error in football, but it can be done. So don't accept anything less. And, yeah, I think that's well stated. And across all sports, though, I would say it's faded amongst the fan base. Um, like, you know, the mindset has changed. It's just kind of taken longer to creep in with the decision makers. And I don't necessarily mean that particularly to baseball because what the weird part about the baseball thing is Mike has still always given you just enough to justify it. And now that's slowly and slowly deteriorating into having, you know, to actually produce Omaha-like results or you're out of here. You could argue it's taken too long for it to get to this point. But it's weird because he's always kind of given you enough to justify it. And, and, you know, there is something to be said for consistency. His teams never suck. He is never going 10-20. and 20. You're never going to get the opportunity to can him for absolutely tanking. What, he's missed three NCAA tournaments since he's been here, and one was the first year he was here? I think he missed 11 and 17 were the only other two. They never suck. But no. at the same time – the, the results in the postseason have also been underwhelming as consistent as the program is going to be. And then the last note of the state part of it, it's funny just because the, the 18 and three or whatever the record is state has against Ole Miss is just a pile on. Like I, not, not that it doesn't matter, but if Ole Miss were 500 against state over that span, I don't think it would change much if the, if the end of the season results are still the same. It's just another knock against him. And that's kind of, yeah. you know, him being, handling this the way he did and kind of leaving everyone in the dark is just another knock against him. So there's like, 
I guess what I'm saying is Bianco's had ways to minimize the kind of case against him collectively in the court of public opinion. And hasn't really done that because he hasn't beaten state and he didn't necessarily handle this coaching search thing correctly. And then it took him too long to embrace analytics. And I mean, hell, every team they play now is shifting all across the field. Have you ever seen Jacob Gonzalez or Peyton Chatagnier move outside <laughs> the same patch of dirt? They don't do any of that. And it's, it's gotten better. It, it certainly showed up in pitching. It hasn't showed up in his lineup construction. But they've gotten so much better analytically with pitching. I mean, you could point exactly to Gunnar Hoagland and his improvement and a couple other guys. So he has embraced it. It's just sometimes gotten too slow and taken too long. And that's kind of the Mike Bianco story. It took him – too long to loosen up, and he missed some opportunities before he kind of in that 19 season had no other choice. Took him a little too long to embrace analytics, and the return trip to Omaha has taken too long. And now finally too long is eventually going to catch up with you. And that's the weird part about the kind of the last topic made for like the last point before we move on to something else is like it made every sense in the world for him to move on. And maybe it was just as simple as he doesn't have the offer and I think LSU wanted to kind of wait out a guy or two in Omaha, and by a guy or two, I mean Tony Vitello. But if there was ever a way to move on, this was it, and now he's back and gambling on himself. So yeah. you know, maybe it was a forced gamble. Maybe he didn't have the job and didn't feel great about his chances of getting it. I have no idea. I think some of that was overblown. Um, and that's probably what Keith Carter was referring to in his statement about fiction, because there wasn't a ton of fiction there. He, this guy interviewed for the gig, um, you know, the – the national angle of it's his job to turn down was probably exaggerated, but the local guys were pretty good on this. So I just, I'm interested. Well, Cause it was coming, out. it was coming from one place. It, it was coming from one place. Yes. I, I, if I don't know if you're going to be mad at somebody and I don't know if anger is the right word, but I, I think that I think Bianco's agent failed him. And obviously Scott Woodward really, really stuck it to Ole Miss and Mike Bianco and, I know it's college sports. It's high-level sports. It's cutthroat. You're not supposed to do anybody any favors. You're supposed to look out for you and your own and nobody else. But I am genuinely surprised. And I don't know anything about Scott Warward. Maybe he's just, you know, a cutthroat SOB, and that's all he is. I cannot believe that LSU did this to Mike Bianco. Because it created uh, – the leaks came from one place. It didn't come from Mike. There, there's no way. They came from one the other side of this. That's why all of LSU's local beat had all of this information. Meetings, interviews, stuff like that. They all had it. There's a reason they all had it. And the Ole Miss side didn't have near as much. An alum who was a great player there who was respected by everybody there in a place that doesn't have very many well-respected people out there right now. It is a place that is lacking in good people. And you've got a good person who does a good job, who's respected in the business, who is immortalized at your stadium. And you string him along, very leak your interview, your public interview, you leak it to the media and create an environment at his job that is at least filled with tension now because of it. If, it, if that interview never leaks, the, the fan base isn't at least whatever portion is up in arms isn't up in arms. Because, oh, he's a candidate, but if, you don't, if he didn't interview in person or that never gets out, nobody cares. 
Because of course he would be a candidate, right? There's a bunch of guys that end up on hot lists and stuff like that. If he takes a phone call, it's no big deal. But his agent also should have not let him interview without a job offer on the table that he could accept. That's also a problem. But I am re I'm really surprised. I, I just I think it's really I can say this right. It's really shitty uh, from Wait Scott Woodward. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, there's no FCC here. It's really shitty for Scott Woodward to to put and it's college sports, whatever. But a well respected, well liked, does it the right way kind of guy who's immortalized at your stadium to leak publicly about this interview for whatever motivation he had to do it, to undercut him at his job, to string him along in this search. I, that's what I kept thinking when it was very clear that the interview did happen in person and that got leaked and the job wasn't offered. That's really shitty. I think it's a product of the dysfunction there because oftentimes when there's a power struggle in terms of who someone wants or the decision-making, there's more leaks to try to get your side the point across. Like people use the media to kind of gain traction for their cause, basically. And I think that was probably part of it, but you're right. And, you know, people won't like <laughs> us, you know, maybe painting Mike as sort of the victim in part of this, but he was not, it was not handled well by LSU, but how this church has been a shit show from the start. And I'm, I'm interested to see where they land on. It doesn't sound like it will be Mike Bianco. And so, I don't know. It'll set up for an interesting 2022. It'll be a consequential 2022 for the future of Ole Miss baseball. That is 100% for certain. Speaking of consequential seasons, football is around the corner. And guess what we're not going to have to do throughout the next month and a half is wonder whether it's going to happen. And then, two, have a running tracker of cancellations and schedule swaps and COVID, who is available and who's not. We're going to have a normal football season where we can just talk about football. And we have two head coaches that kind of – obviously, they both had a year one. It's kind of a bizarre year one that are really kind of finally settling in to their roles in the Magnolia State. And it's going to be a fascinating one from a content perspective because it's going to feel normal. The stadiums are going to be full again. It's their first normal run at it. Um, I don't even necessarily know what I want to go to go with this. We can start on the state side a little bit. What do they need? What is Mike in your mind? Because y'all cover it all. Like I'm more obviously, particularly now with the Rebel Grove thing, um, now more Ole Miss focused. And this was always kind of more Ole Miss centric content anyway. But I guess what I'm asking is we'll start there. What does Mike Leach need to do? Because they did play better as the year went on last year, particularly towards the end. Didn't always result in wins, but they had COVID and injury problems and guys leaving and opting out and all that shit. It seemed like it ended on a positive note, aside from the brawl. What does he need to do to kind of keep that going as opposed to go back to, you know, early October? It's like, holy God, this looks bad. Like, what do you think he needs to do? So I think the end of their season is slightly fool's gold. I mean, they, they did. They beat Missouri. Uh, they they beat Vanderbilt, although that was a struggle. They they won a bowl game at three and seven, but they won a bowl game. They but if you really well, which I think matters, not that moral victories are a thing. They did play better than most expected in that game. They did. Uh, the bowl game was was against Tulsa, where they really struggled offensively, and Tulsa's best player, early round pick, what opted out in the game at, at linebacker, um, Zaven Collins, isn't that his name? Yeah. Uh, didn't play, so they – and the weather was bad and stuff, I get it, but it was Tulsa. Their best player was out, and he struggled offensively. They beat Missouri in the last game of the year where Missouri was so COVID-depleted, their backup quarterback was playing free safety because they, had, they didn't have a choice. 
And yeah, they put up a bunch of yards against Ole Miss, but so did everybody. Uh, Ole Miss statistically was the second worst defense in SEC play in the history of the conference. In conference play, only one defense has ever given up more yards per game than last year's Ole Miss team. That's how bad they were. So, yeah, I mean, of course Mississippi State racked up some yards after they were down two touchdowns against that defense because so did everybody. And I, you know, I'm really concerned that Mike Leach won't work. Because, I mean, yes, new scheme, new system. K.J. Costello did not work out. You were playing a true freshman. But it looked like everybody in the SEC, same defensive scheme against them, and it worked. Ole Miss was able to keep them in check, kind of, and that's a miracle. Yeah. Because they, they couldn't block at all. That was one of the worst offensive lines ever. The amount of times that a three-man front would get great pressure in sacks at times is mind-blowing. Um, so they were really bad up front, and, and Rodgers was a true freshman. They've got one really, really, really good wide receiver, and uh, Jaden Wally, who I think is an NFL guy. He's really good. But it, it was the same offense that you've always seen, and it was the same scheme in a week-in and week-out basis that really shut the offense down. And now. It feels like they've got a true quarterback competition on their hands because Will Rogers in the spring game, I know it's a spring game, but did not impress at all. And Abraham did look better, and he has played more football than that of Will Rogers, the Southern Miss transfer. So they've got a quarterback competition on their hands where neither one is really all that impressive. Um, you've got a scheme that, unless it changes – Everybody in the SEC already gave you the blueprint for how to stop it, and it was so simple last year. There were some local people around here that do radio that were getting so mad that, oh, it's more, it's more complicated than rush three, drop eight, but that's what your eyes are seeing. They're bringing three-man front, dropping everybody else back in zone, and letting you throw five-yard hitches down the field until the quarterback makes a mistake or one gets defended better, or you get a drop, and they punt the football away and don't score. This is such a key year for Mike Leach because audition number one did not go well. And if they struggle again offensively, Zach Arnett can only save you for so long. I, yeah, that's it. Cause it's, 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 of course it's a, it's a wins and losses business, but if the I mean, there are people that are predicting seven wins and wh where are those coming from? Yeah, that's a tough one. So like, so with the Rogers thing though, he made a difference when they inserted him that offense. Oh, by the way, you don't have it up just based on our conversation. Um, it was eight or it was four to nothing. Virginia was leading Mississippi state going into the top of the eighth. Guess the score right now. Oh, uh, five, four. I've had Twitter up. I saw Tanner. Five to four. Uh, so, you know, they'll put his statue next to Jake Mangum's and Ole Miss needs a couple more of the guys like them. It's probably, probably a pretty good way to I mean, surprise I mean, honestly, though, like the fact that that happened is not surprising. That, that's what, the difference that, with them. That game's over because I, I haven't looked, but I'm imagining who just ran down to the bullpen for the Mighty Bulldogs was a guy named Landon Sims, and he's, uh, he's pretty good. That game's probably over. I'm not trying to jinx it by saying that as we record this live. No one will actually listen to this live. But, like, <laughs> that, that game's probably over. Like, that he, good, good on them. 2-0 is huge in Omaha as well. Um, but the Will Rogers thing made a difference, did it not? I mean, I'll defer to you. You watch more state than I did because it's part of your job description. It, it made a difference. It seemed like they, they functioned better. But I guess what I'm getting – that's a two-parter. And the second part of that is 
Like if they go five and seven, but they score a shit ton of points and they're kind of fun, it like that would to me probably buy him a little more leeway. But also that doesn't really make sense because if they score a bunch of points, their defense is going to be pretty good. So they'll probably win more games than that. But I guess what I'm saying, even if it doesn't necessarily translate to wins, the offense needs to be functional above all else, right? Oh, for sure. And, and I really like Will Rogers. So I, I know that there are state fans that listen to this and, and they'll probably post it on six pack or whatever that I said, I, I don't see where seven wins are coming from, but I, I like Will Rogers a lot. And I, I think a lot of people wrote him off because he was a true freshman in a COVID altered training camp. Cause it's not fall camp. And he was not supposed to be the starter. He was a, wasn't he a late add to their class? I don't think so. Maybe not. Maybe I had that wrong. He's a Brandon kid, right? Like it's from I guess Brandon. His dad's probably wrong. He was not highly touted. Put it that way. Uh, I, I do not believe – I could be wrong about this. I don't think Ole Miss went after him. But also, I mean, Mississippi State didn't go after Altmaier. So I, how much does that, you know, really matter? Uh, but he, I think he's talented. I think he showed flashes of being good last year. But you've got people that are already writing him off. But Mike Leach might write him off because – if the spring game was an indicator of how practice went, the Southern Miss transfer Abraham is better more right now. And it's, it's just a spring game, so it feels stupid to say out loud, but you wanted to see Will Rogers command that offense and look like the guy. I mean, it was clear as day when he watched the Ole Miss spring game as vanilla and mundane as it was, you know who the guy is. It's Matt Corral. When Shannon, the first time he ran the same offense as the previous spring game. Yeah. I mean, when you watch the Alabama spring game, as I did, you knew that it was, it was Bryce Young. He's the guy there. Everybody knows it. He acted like it. He played like it. He stood out as just the guy. He looked like it. And Rodgers did not look like that. And it's just a spring game, I know. But interesting times there. The offense, they have to produce offensively. I mean, that's what you hired the guy to do is run a, a fast – point scoring engaging offense and after week one you thought that was going to be the case but what you didn't know is Bo Pelini was going to run a bunch of man all Saturday long and that's the absolute worst thing you can do against a Mike Leach offense but yeah they've got to score points um they've got to force touches to Jaden Wally I, I think you know I don't want to compare him to Elijah Moore but they need to use him the way Kiffin used Elijah Moore forcing him the football He's their best player. He's their most explosive player. Got hurt in the spring game, but not anything that will affect the fall. He's a heck of a player. And I don't think they have anybody else on that roster that is as dynamic as him. So forget – and it's Mike Leach. He's been doing it for 20 years, so this is just an exercise in futility. But they need to forget the air raid and force him the football because he can beat people similarly in a way that Elijah Moore did. I think he's that explosive and that capable of, of taking the top off of defenses. Um, and his brother went to Minnesota for a wake-up call coming in October, but uh, wasn't highly recruited, really explosive player. They've got a couple of good running backs that have experience, I guess, but they don't run the football very well. All of this is a waste of time if they don't get better up front. If they are the same – on the front five as they were last year, they're going to struggle in conference play again because they were awful last year up front, just awful. Uh, you know, it's interesting, it kind of pu putting it out big picture as we kind of build on the kind of the general thoughts of the 2021 upcoming season. 
I always thought this was interesting when they made the hire because the Moorhead thing did not turn out as planned and they had to make the fire. The, the firing came at an odd time too. So it was not like your normal silly season coaching search. When they hired Leach, I didn't hate it. I was like, this is interesting and it will be fun, whether it's good or bad for Mississippi State. It will be a good time and it'll be entertaining to watch. I had two thoughts. It was one, what's the ceiling? Because Mike Leach has always been good, but not great. Can he do that in the SEC? Because if he wins six, seven games a bunch of years in a row, that's pretty good. But eventually state fans after Mullen particularly are going to want more. So I guess the first part of that is always wonder what the ceiling is. And then if it doesn't turn out well, on the flip side of that, what does that say about John Cohen? Oh, there are a lot of Mississippi State fans that are wondering if if he is right for the job. Uh, because a baseball hire, obviously Chris Lemonis is working out very nicely. There has been two College World Series since he's been hired. Three seasons, but two of them, and he's been in both. So that's working out very nicely. And you know that they really, really care about their baseball there. But the funny thing about Joe Moorhead, I don't know if it's funny or not, but on paper, it was a great hire. It's a great hire. Offensive innovator. He's, you know, he's been a head coach before at Fordham, but he was the, the OC at Penn State, had pedigree. It was a quiet search. It was done well, and it makes sense. It really made sense. And, and it just didn't work for whatever reason. But if Mike Leach doesn't work, do you want that guy making the third head coaching hire in just a few years? They need stability. I mean, after Dan Mullen left, Firing a coach after two years does not resonate well in the coaching world because while it's an SEC job, it's an SEC West job, I think every job in the conference with the exception of two are top 35 jobs in college football, give or take. I would eliminate Missouri and Vanderbilt. Otherwise, you can make an argument that Kentucky, Ole Miss, Mississippi State can make a case for top 35 or so college football jobs. I think you can make the case. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But it's not the easiest job in a very difficult division. You're telling me that I can go to two bowl games, beat the rival, and still get fired? Doesn't resonate well. So they need stability from Mike Leach. They, they need this to work. This year is so important. I'm telling you, for, the, for Mississippi State fans, he has got to beat Ole Miss this year. He has to. He has to. He cannot afford to go less than 500 with a loss to Ole Miss because there will be pressure. I don't think Cohen can give in. I think Mike Leach can go 2-10 and 10 and not get fired because you can't do that twice in a row. Yeah. But if they go 5-7 and seven with a loss to Ole Miss, I don't think Mississippi State fans want him making the third hire when that comes. I think that'll be it. Because when that offense is stifled, it also, like, not only does it not work, like, honestly, like, Longo's offense, the simplicity of it, there's some of that to it. It didn't work but it also didn't always look horrendous. When Mike Leach's offense got stopped last year, it looked awful. Like, it was not visually appealing as well. And now when it worked, it looked pretty good as well. That's the interesting part of this to me is, like like you mentioned with the with regards to Cohen, the Moorhead – if you can find a negative press clipping when Ole Miss – excuse me, when Mississippi State hired uh, Joe Moorhead, I'll give you a, a thousand bucks. Not literally, because I'm sure there's some blog out there, but you get what I'm going at. Like that was universally praised. And just because it worked that didn't work out, doesn't mean it was a bad hire on paper and that it was the a bad decision. 
some things just don't work out. But the problem with that is if you hire a second guy who's much riskier in terms of a success failure standpoint and the margin, you know, the, the extremes seem seemingly are much higher and much lower, uh, particularly on the not working outside, then like that, that doesn't get work. That doesn't work in your favor. Like the whole, the Moorhead thing's not going to work in your favor, despite it being a rational hire in the moment. That's what's fascinating to me. I think you're right too. I think they need to beat Ole Miss. I think, um, they need to be functional on offense. And, you know, if he rolls out a four and eight and Kiffin and Ole Miss go into Oxford and beat Mississippi state, um, that might be the hottest year three seat in some time in Starkville um, or really just anywhere. I know the Moorhead thing got weird at the end, but like Moorhead seat going in, I know he didn't get a year three, but Moorhead seat going into year two was not scorching hot by any means. It was mildly disappointing. And just the way that shit unfolded throughout the rest of the year, it became apparent that he had a culture problem. And so you're, I think you're right. I think that's going to be fascinating. And speaking of Ole Miss flipping over to the Ole Miss side of it, I guess there's two main storylines that I'm looking for is, one, I think the offense will be pretty damn good again, but, like, receiving core, obviously, kind of need to replace Elijah Moore. But I don't really have many worries, I would say, about Ole Miss putting up points on the scoreboard. Is the change in defense going to be tangible in terms of, like, improvement? Is there going to be tangible improvement? Because they had a pretty good recruiting class on the defensive side. They had a recruiting class in general. I actually – I was – writing something the other day I didn't actually realize that finished 17 I knew it was top 25 but I didn't know it had climbed up to 17 and that's probably me just not being as connected and kind of plugged in as I once was so it was a good recruiting class as a whole but it was very defensive heavy and they seemingly addressed a lot of issues particularly on the back end one class is not going to save the defense and make them into a formidable defense but with that being said there needs to be tangible improvement. They can't give up 38, 39, 40 points a game, whatever the hell the mark ended up at last year. Even if they aren't good, they need to look better while doing it. There needs to be a Mike McIntyre feel to where these guys still aren't that talented, but they don't do dumb shit. They don't do Wesley McGriff, I fits. You know, the classic Wes McGriff thing was, you know, Ole Miss's opponents offensively, they would dump it out in the backfield or throw some sort of shallow route, and there's no one within the TV panorama. Like they could pan out, and there's no defender in sight. Yeah. Like they, they can't have obvious. Oh, they just have to limit the menu, because it, when you're lacking in talent, you definitely want to be as simple as possible. That'll really stop SEC offenses. <laughs> and that'll do it. And look, they, and they were hired. The two guys were tired to do a different job than McIntyre. McIntyre was his job was to put a band aid on a pretty big size wound and just make it look as good as humanly possible. Where Dirk and Partridge were brought in to do their thing and recruit at a national level. Like their job descriptions and their tasks were a little bit differently. Obviously, their the end goal for both of them is to arrive at the same result, and that's be a good defense. But the way they were, you know, told to get there or designed to get there is different. But with that said, to me, there needs to be a tangible improvement on the defensive side of the ball, and it just needs to look better. Like, they don't, they can suck again, but they can't suck as hard, and they need to look good while doing it. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, like, I've had somebody say to me, yeah, hey, hey, I think they can win 10 games this year. Well, they can. They, they certainly can. They could have last year as well with how well they played on offense. Until, the, until they get better on that side of the ball, there's no way that, Anybody should project anything more than a season very similar to last year's in a bunch of games, but not winning them because of the defense. Now, on paper, though, they should be better. It's just, can the transfers be ready? And I would throw Otis Reese in this category as well, since he only got him for three games last year. 
But can Chance Campbell be a starter impact linebacker immediately, especially now with Jacquez Jones leaving to, for Kentucky? Interesting situation there. But can the two junior college transfer defensive tackles be rotation guys immediately? Can Jacob Springer give you something in the back end? It, those four guys, you tell me how they play, and I tell you how good the defense is. You know, not a super profound opinion, but that's going to be the difference with this team is if those guys acclimate right away and play well right away, uh, an access bowl type season is not out of the realm of possibility. Well, I mean, hell, they could have won eight games last year with the normal non-conference schedule. I think they probably beat Baylor. Yeah. I think that's safe to say in hindsight. And like you get three cupcakes after that, they were pretty damn good. Like I know people yeah. were frustrated with the call. A couple of games turned out, but they could have gotten to eight last year. Now it'll be different and it'll be a much more normal year and you'll have full crowds. And that makes a hell of a lot of difference. I don't put a ton of stock into what happened last year. But, yeah, you're right. And, you know, it's interesting. They lose Jacquez Jones to Kentucky. And I guess that's how you perceive that. And I'll preface this by saying football was always the least, the least plugged in in terms of, like, actually kind of being in the know. And there's a number of reasons for that, one being 25 and looking like I'm 15 and not having his personal relationship with coaches as much as it is easier to get access in other sports. And I won't go down that rabbit hole today. I don't know what happens with Jacquez Jones. I don't necessarily know what happened. But I just do wonder – if it was something bizarre or something as simple as he kind of looked around and saw his snap count might deteriorate and it's a sign of the depth they're formulating on that side of the ball, particularly at linebacker. I don't know which one it was, but for a guy that was kind of a vocal leader and certainly a vocal cheerleader, and I don't mean that as a knock in terms of like him talking about how improved the defense was in the spring and then wanting to change the mentality uh, like he was pretty vocal about that. Then all of a sudden he's dead another SEC program. I thought that was odd, but I just don't know what to make of it. Yeah. See, I, I, I've asked, I don't know a, a real reason air quotes. My first thought was he has been a starter in the SEC for a while, played a lot in the SEC for a while. And like you said, anticipating a drop off in available snaps. I was on a show in Kentucky, and they kind of asked, you know, what what guy is is Kentucky getting? You know, is he is he going to make a difference on their defense? And I said, honestly, I don't think so. I said, now, that's not to say he won't help, that he's not a good kid and a and a, a, a fine enough player. But if you're looking for like game changer, gonna gonna make a difference on that defense, that's not exactly what I saw. Just because you're a leading tackler on a defense does not necessarily mean that you are a great player. And so, solid, yes. Would have been a good rotational piece? Absolutely. Is that the difference between Ole Miss winning eight games and six games? Well, no. I mean, no. Fine player, but a defense full of people like him isn't winning anything in the SEC. And honestly benefited from the fact that he was able to play immediately. Like, he probably is not on the field immediately if that 2018 defense, 2018 team doesn't have just a horrific defense. Um, it was him and then that kid that concussed himself on the opening kickoff of the 2018 season, Cavante Ruggs. Remember him? Like, he had some issues. Yeah. I know he ended up <laughs> leaving. But it was like they were starting two freshman linebackers, and it was like, oh, holy shit. Like, this is, this is how bad it is. And Chuck yeah. Jones turned out to be a nice story, but in terms of ability-wise, I kind of agree. So I guess if that's kind of a sign of formulating depth, uh, 
I guess you could take that as an ostensibly good sign for Ole Miss if it's nothing else other than that. Um, you would hope so because yeah, I mean, it's like, to, to spin it as – and I guess it sounded like I was saying it's not a loss. It absolutely is. I mean, it's not good that he's not there anymore. It's – I just when, – when the guys in Kentucky asked me if they were getting an impact player, my answer was no. It's rotational piece and a good one, but that's all. Matt Corral. You know, to me, this season goes one of two ways. He's a Heisman contender, and it's like, holy cow, look what this kid became once he had some semblance of stability. But the flip side of that is if he has two more five, six interception games, um, that's going to kind of become a uh, – I hate to bring up the good bow, bad bow, bow Wallace type of thing. And oh, don't worry. You've got the old SB Nation people that are already on that. Don't worry. Uh, really? So, like that – Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, like, he's immensely more talented than Bo Wallace, and that's not a knock on Bo Wallace. I think Bo Wallace might be the most underappreciated player in Ole Miss history. Yeah. Um, but, like, there is going to be a recklessness hold back. Like, I could see a column – we don't have columnists in this state anymore because of the state of print media. But, like, if you're writing a column after four games and it hasn't gone well for Ole Miss, one of the obvious ones is probably Matt Corral's recklessness is holding this team back. Last year yeah. it was excused because the defense sucked and they had to take chances. But like that, well, it was that only two games bad. too, and those two games cannot happen. I, I think Matt Corral is the most misunderstood quarterback in college football, and I, I have been almost frustrated about some of the stuff that's been written about him. I have seen one guy say that Matt Corral's interception total was high because Ole Miss was playing from behind all season last year. Well, look at the game splits because that's not true. It's not true at all. I mean, when he was playing from behind, he was kind of at his best. I mean, with Alabama and Florida and those games, I mean, he was exceptional when he was playing from behind. It was two games where he had inexplicable blow-ups. I mean, just look at the game logs. And then you had ESPN say that Matt Corral's an intriguing prospect but doesn't have the arm strength. It's like, wait, what? Do you watch this kid play? Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a turnoff for me. Like, that, not turnoff. That's, I'm not taking you serious. If you do the arm strength thing with Matt Corral, you are just saying, hi, on my forehead. I did not watch a game last year that Ole Miss played. That doesn't make any sense. There, there's no justifiable reason to think that he is lacking in arm strength. His deep ball and his deep ball accuracy are absolutely his best attributes. His NFL caliber deep ball passing from that kid and so I, I can't figure out and he's not going to be first team all sec at media days although he would have my vote um i'm not going covid whatnot uh they're restricting it it's a weird deal but interesting he would have my vote he's not going to be first team all sec it won't be close it'll be jt daniels and i promise you a bunch of people there are going to put bryce young over him people either didn't watch him last year or they look at interception totals and think that that was just like three a game every game instead of two that can't happen again but nobody watched him or nobody really watched him like they maybe put the Ole Miss game on in the background or on the second tv because of Lane Kiffin but they didn't really sit down and watch Matt Corral because every person that has sat down and watched him and done like scouting in film breakdown sees a kid that had two inexplicably terrible blow-up games but has elite arm strength, elite ability. I mean, his footwork is good. Looking off defenders, he's really good at. 
when it's not Arkansas or LSU, and he's mobile. He can be a Heisman contender, without a doubt, if the team's good enough. So I've been completely blown away at some of the garbage that's been written about him this offseason. It's coming from people that haven't watched him. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. So you're right. I mean, he threw 14 interceptions last year. I know woulda, shoulda, coulda, you can't actually take out the two games. But he's 29-14 and in terms of touchdown to interception. If you take out Arkansas and LSU, he's 24-3. and That's a drastically different stat line in an 8-10 game. And and let's go – those interceptions, one of them was in the Florida game, uh, tipped at the line of scrimmage. Another one was Auburn where Elijah Moore stopped running. The ball was was accurate, and he stopped running. I don't remember the third. The third came against – who did that come against? Oh, he threw a second one against Auburn. So I, he only had two other games. Oh, wait, was that like uh, Hail Mary at the at the end of the half or something, right? That wasn't – I don't remember it, but it may have been. You still, I don't remember you know, it. Your point's well stated. Like, you know, it's almost like watching the games matters or something. He, he was flawless with the exception of those two games. And those, those two games will hold him back if he does it again. But he was flawless otherwise. Just it, it had an exceptional season and nobody watched. It's crazy. It really is. And, you know, I mean, you know, we're less than a year out from – remember the whole national versus local thing to where national media was like, oh, Miss could be pretty explosive with Lane Kiffin and John Rice Plumley. It's like, well, they could, but he will not be playing quarterback for them in the fall. Like, the disconnect yeah. on that was so bizarre, and it's obviously – it kind of probably speaks to the national media in college football. Lazy's the wrong term. There's a lot of teams out there, but uh, having confidence in opinions that they – are not well formed and well educated in that sense because we I, had a guy on the show uh, as a guest on the show. I'm not going to say who it is. Argue with Richard because he said I'm hearing that Plumley is the leader, and uh, Richard was like, Richard was like, um, no, he's not. He did it more respectfully from that, but it was like, no, hey, I mean, I, look, it, it's it's going to be Corral and. Guy pushed back. No, no, that's not what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that it, it's Plumley's job to lose, and I think that's the right call and stuff like that. And Richard was like, okay, but I know that it's not going to be him. The separation was unbelievable between the two. What is – I hate I – I'm not dumping on college kids, I promise. And I, it, it's, it's always weird criticizing kids that are, you know, 18, 19 years old. But, like, what – what is John Rice Plumley if not for three months of Rich Rodriguez? Like, what is he? Because to his credit, he became a much better baseball player than I thought. Him being a regular contributor on a super regional team was not something I thought was in the cards for him. But just, I guess you can put it from a football standpoint, what is he if not Rich Rodriguez uh, kind of getting in Matt Luke's ear and being like, you ever heard of exotic Smash Mouth? Let me show you this shit. It's going to be awesome. And Matt Luke being like, hell yeah, Mississippi made – um, like what, like if that doesn't happen, then what is like, what is he? I have no idea. Slot receiver already. Cause how does no. that play out? That does a good trade. Maybe, maybe a quarterback somewhere else. Okay. That's Hattiesburg. fair. What is he this fall? Slot receiver. I think I agree. And I think that bowl game kind of planted the seed and I don't know, you know, I don't, I haven't seen where he's been asked about it, but like that had to be kind of fun. He caught the biggest pass of the game. Like that can't be the worst thing in the world. He's on the field. So I'm a Saints fan. I adopted them when I moved to Jackson because I didn't really have an NFL team. So I'm kind of a new new era or new money Saints fan. But I'll use two Saints players as a comparison for two Ole Miss players that I think Lane Kiffin should use them 
And the obvious one for Plumlee is Taysom Hill. Don't line him up at tight end, though. So, so eliminate the tight end aspect of it. But the occasional snap at quarterback is fine. Lining, lining him up at running back sometimes is fine and in the slot because Taysom Hill does that, too. That kind of role, I think, is perfect for him. And I would use Jerry and Ely, or I'm curious to see how they use Jerry and Ely in a similar way that the Saints use Alvin Kamara. Because while Kamara is great between the tackles, that's not really how they use him. They will hand the ball off to him up the middle, but they'll do outside runs, tosses, jet sweep, stuff like that. And he lines up in the slot and catches the football as well. I'm wondering if they will use a lot more two-back sets and even put Plumlee at quarterback at times if they feel like a change of pace or just throw him out at slot. But those two guys, I'm fascinated with their usage because I think without Elijah Moore, and as, as good as Braylon Sanders can be, and Ontario Drummond is also – he's good. He's fine. You know, SEC wide receiver that can catch passes for a bunch of yards and score touchdowns. But I think their best option might be a lot of two-back sets and using Ely in a more versatile way because – he can catch the ball out of the backfield, and he's dynamic in space, and so is Plumley, as we saw in the bowl game, like you said. So using them in a similar way that Sean Payton uses Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray. Kamara runs up the middle some, but Murray's more of their go-get-tough-yards guy. Hey, it's third and two. Give it to Latavius. Use Snoop Connor in that kind of more physical between the tackles back and use Ely in a more flexible role in the slot, catching passes in space. That fascinates me, too, if they use a lot of two-back sets and stuff like that, because I think that might be where their best weapons are. Ole Miss's best skill position is not wide receiver. It's not tight end. It's running back. So I wonder if they use them in the pass game to open things up some. Sure, and with regard to Ely, you can afford to because you're right. Snoop Connor's probably still like the short yardage back, but if you remember by the end of the year, he had Kerry siphoned away from him by Henry Parrish. And, you know, he's 5'10", yeah. like 175 pounds or whatever. You're probably not asking him, you know, to get a yard and a half when you absolutely have to between the tackles very often. But to your point about Ely, they have the, the depth and the versatility to do so. Um, you know, I, I think Isaiah Woolard is still on the roster – uh, that You know, that kid, it, again, not the most talented kid, but he was okay in replacing Scotty Phillips late 2019. Was that 2019, 18? I can't remember what it was. Like, they've got depth there and versatility. So I am fascinated about the Ely aspect of it. And then not saying Plumley becomes Elijah Moore because that would be an insult to the work that Elijah Moore and the intricacies that he mastered at the position and a route running standpoint. But I just wonder if – if, if Plumlee's sheer speed and athleticism, if his hands are okay, could you look up four games into the season and be like, holy hell, look what Ole Miss has in the slot here. Like this is, you know, it's a different yeah. type of player. Like comparing him to Elijah Moore will be natural and great TV fodder. In reality, they'll be very different players. But I wonder if he can become some sort of weapon, you know, footwork intricacies aside because he won't have that mastered. But I just wonder if his sheer speed, if the hands are decent, he can overcome it and Ole Miss has a – Different, but very awesome weapon over the middle. Yeah, I was being hyperbolic when I said it on the radio, but I did say that uh, Plumlee should quit baseball and spend all offseason running routes and catching footballs. Because I think that with his speed, he can make an NFL roster. 
if he catches the football effectively and consistently and runs good routes. I think he's got – I mean, Hunter Renfro, my gosh, Hunter Renfro's in the NFL. If Hunter Renfro can do it, John Rice Pumley can do it, not to compare two white guys with each other. But you get my point. I mean, it does not require elite athleticism to Plumley's level to get on a roster. It requires route running and hands paired with that. So he's got one of the three. If he develops the other two, that might be where his professional sports future is. And my God, if he has a year's worth of decent tape as a receiver and it turns out okay, John Gruden will have to waistband it for the rest <laughs> of his life talking to this kid. Like, the, I mean, the Renfro comparison's apt in some ways, but given the way Plumley kind of his demeanor and his dynamic, can you imagine that man getting in a room with John, John Gruden? That guy would be six to midnight in a hurry. And that would be interesting. So that is an interesting concept, like on a serious note. It's like, you know, what is his actual future? It's obviously not professionally as a baseball player, even though he's turned into a better baseball player than I thought. So, yeah. So, I, Hunter Renfro uh, was five foot 10, 180 pounds at the combine. Uh, he ran a four five nine forty. <laughs> I think probably will beat that. And he jumped at 35 inches, which is good. But a four five nine at five ten one eighty, but what does Hunter Renfro do well? Catches the damn ball and he gets he open. Catches the ball when it's thrown to him. He gets open because he runs crisp routes. And last year he caught six hundred and fifty yards worth of passes in the NFL. Wild, yeah. It's almost like there's a, not a one size fits all type of receiver in the NFL. Oh, imagine that. That's uh, good stuff, dude. I've kept you way too long. I really appreciate it. We'll get it back on, obviously, before football season and talk some more football in depth. But uh, plug away. YouTube show, obviously, you're on the radio, Sports Talk Mississippi 3 to 6 every day. Uh, where yeah. can the people find your YouTube show? You're on Twitter, at Michael Borky. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's where I am everywhere because I am uber creative when I come up with names. So it's just my name. Uh, yeah, find me anywhere. I um, I hope that I didn't bore you guys to death tonight, and uh, appreciate you having me on, man. This is always a lot of fun. I, I could do this every day. I kind of do, but I have to suffer with uh, with Richard Cross. So it's nice to not do this with him, you know. Yeah, that's really why I asked you. On the show. I was like, clearly, this guy needs. <laughs> I needed a break. He needs a breather. <laughs> I appreciate it as always, my friend. Check him out, Michael Borky. Check out the YouTube show, Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 p.m. every day. We will uh, do this again this summer when football's really cranked up. How about that? I'm in, man. Anytime. The answer is always yes. Have a good one, dude.